Psalm 19, which we just read, is a uh, beautiful, beautiful psalm. It's a reflection of the beauty and splendor of God, as well as, at the end, a response of God's people to that beauty and splendor. C.S. Lewis said this, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter, or the book of Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It is actually believed that approximately seven hymns have come out of this psalm because this psalm marries great poetry and great theology. That's why I wanted to read it right from the beginning in its entirety. And to me, the fact that seven hymns could be written really provide an indication that we should really take specific, extra, great care in going through it. Uh, tonight, I have entitled the message, The Sky Proclaims the Glory of God, uh, because we're just going to cover the first of three sections. And the first section, in, in verses 1 through 6, is God's revelation of Himself, God revealing Himself to us through creation. And that's what theologians call general revelation, general re revelation. That simply means that everybody can see it. It's very simple. You don't have to open the Bible to see it. You just can see it as you, as you look, as you go around in your day. And it reveals, general revelation reveals the glory and the majesty of God and the creative powers of God. In, in the New Testament, Psalms written about a thousand, this Psalm probably written about a thousand years before Jesus lived, but after uh, the, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Another version says, by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. The idea of that is it's made plain to them, or it's, it's evident, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His, God's, invisible attributes, let's remember that terminology, are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, people who live in the world because of this general revelation, are without excuse. That last uh, verse, verse 20, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says this, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Really amazing. God's saying, no one's going to go when they meet me and say, I had no idea. He's going to say, no, you, you saw nature. Verse 21, very interesting verse. When we do the book of Romans, we'll spend a long time on what this exactly means. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So interesting, God says, through this general revelation, people actually know me. They don't know his son, but they know him but they don't glorify or they don't honor God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Another version says, their thinking became nonsense, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, after the general revelation section in this psalm, the psalmist takes us to the special revelation part, and that's the Word of God. The Bible is special revelation. That's next week, verses 7 through 11. And then that's followed by a very interesting section, section 12 through, uh, verse 12 through 14, where the psalmist responds to what he has seen and to what he has heard in the first 11 verses. And as we speak with others, these warm summer months, you know, maybe it's, now you'll be here listening to this a different time of year, but as we speak with people, you know, even if you're looking out the window at a snowstorm or any kind of nature thing like that, these are important things to be aware of. And that's so specifically tonight, we want to look how God says to us 
he reveals himself in nature. Now, to many people, nature is God. While the Bible writers would completely disagree, they would agree with the Apostle Paul in Romans that we just read, and he would, they would say that nature is evidence for the existence of God. Nature is evidence for the existence of God. So Psalm 19 begins with the heading, To the Chief Musician, a Psalm of David. Uh, some of your versions say, To the Director of Music to the choir master. So this would be a song. It's going to be interesting when we get to heaven, we hear the melodies that went along with, uh, with these things. Uh, I, it's hard for me. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, every song seems to sound like, every song if I try to sing, it sounds like Fiddler on the Roof to me. And so it begins with the revelation of, of God in creation. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, you're like, what is the firmament? A lot of your versions say the sky shows his handiwork. Another version says the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So here David tells us, look up. Look up and, 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 and see, and you can actually hear as well that the sky speaks, <coughs> excuse me, of the glory of God. The sky actually talks about how awesome God is, how impressive God is, how creative God is. And so he says you can actually look for that for yourself. And it's possible when we talk about the heavens, we think of heaven as the place where God and the angels live and stuff like that. But the heavens is probably more of what we would think of here as outer space, the, the the, the Hebrews used various types of levels of, of heaven, and so there'd be the atmosphere and then outer space. Well, the sky is probably what we see during the day. So we would, see, we would look into the heavens pretty much at night, and we'd see the sky during the day. And we're told that his handiwork, or his hands in some versions, remind us of his personal nature, that God has actually crafted it all to give witness, to give a testimony of and speak of the truthfulness of how creative he is and how wonderful and large and in charge he is, and also how precise he is. And interesting, the verb tenses here are continuous. In other words, he, the Bible does not teach that God just kind of left us on the world, left us here at the world, and took off and said, I'll be back for you. That's called deism. That's not what we believe as Christians. We believe that God is still actively, and the Scripture clearly teaches when it uses continuous tense verbs, that God is continuously active and involved in the ways of the world. So it's very interesting that our world is in chaos. Can I get an amen? Come on, a couple amens. You could do better than that. There you go. Very good. But Thank you out there. I saw that. <laughs> okay. So we, we, we do get this. Uh, idea that our world is in chaos, yet the sky declares the stability and the orderliness of God. Yet interesting, when we look out at the sky, and there's nothing wrong with this about looking up at the sky and praising the Lord, nothing wrong with that, but here the psalmist says, instead of praising the Lord, look up and listen. You say, listen to what? Listen to the praise of the galaxies. Listen to the praise of the sky. But here's the thing. This is a beautiful thing about creation. When we talk about the sky, we'll be talking about the sun in a little bit. When we, when we think about the moon and we think about the stars and stuff like that, none of this is like a lunar eclipse, you know the way a lunar eclipse just comes along every so often and you're like, okay, we got to be aware of it or here it comes or something like that? No, the voice is what? It is continuous. It actually can be heard any time of day. You can look up in the sky during the day and you can see the clouds or the sun or, or the rain or whatever it is. You can actually see it. And then when it gets dark, if you think, oh, I really miss it. I want to hear, hear the song of the sky. That might be a good name for a message, right? The song of the sky. 
And so, if you steal that from me, I get 10%, remember, <laughs> if you write a song. But, but here's the thing. At night, you can look up in the sky, and you can see the stars, and you can still hear the song even more so for us than it was in King David's day. Now, here's the, here's the thing, that the, the, the problem that we have. We are so hyper busy that we don't take the time to soak it in. Now, when he was a king, he was probably busy, but as a shepherd boy, well, he was not. Or he had a little more relaxing time while the sheep were you know, grazing and stuff like that. But now, today, we have incredible, Incredible telescopes that we can look up and see that stuff. Or, or we have space travel where they're actually taking pictures up uh, in the cosmos. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, people love nature. I love nature. Nature's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift from God to us and to be enjoyed. Uh, and it is to be uh, responsibly managed. We are... It's. It, this planet belongs to God. He's really entrusted to us to take care of it. And, and so we are to be good stewards or, or good managers of the planet. So, so Christians should not be litter bugs. You know, Christians should be very careful about things like that. Um, but we know that there's a lot of people that worship the nature God. And it's, it's, a, very, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I'll, I will never forget this is many, many years ago when I went to Earth Day in Central Park. And um, <laughs> it was really bad. It was really bad. And you're thinking, oh, Pastor Jim, you're being so judgmental on the people who just love the earth and wanna, wanna, want the earth to be clean and stuff like that. No, not at all. That's not what I'm talking about at all. As a matter of fact, my first year of college, my major was environmental science till I realized that Definitely was not what the kind of career that I was I was cut out for, um, but when we were leaving Earth Day, my snarky friends and I we said today was save the Earth and trash the Park Day. <laughs> it was because you would think that something a day like that they would keep the park pristine and it would be beautiful, but it wasn't at all. It was it was people left garbage everywhere. And, and we know for some people, the environment is a religion, and keeping the environment um, you know, clean and stuff like that is a really, really wonderful thing. But for some people, it's a religion. But, but one thing for us as followers of Jesus, why it's not a religion for us, once again, we need to be people who are about save the earth, but not trash the planet. So we want to be aware of, of such things. And I'm thankful for a generation that they, it seems to cycle its way <laughs> through our culture that, that seems to be becoming more aware of that. Now, nature worship is certainly not what God intended uh, for his creation, for us by any means. Nature is, again, it's a gift to be enjoyed. It is, a, is, some, it is something to be managed and stewarded. It belongs to God. But here, David is telling us it's a pointer you say, a pointer to what? It's pointing to the God who made nature. It's pointing to the God who made the skies. It's pointing to the God who made space. And it's also pointing to the God who made you. Remember Psalm 8, David said, who am I? What is man that you are mindful of me? Nature, the skies, the cosmos, is a reminder uh, to us that God is so powerful that he can make the planets, and he's so personal that he wants to use them to speak to you. So personal that he knows you and he can communicate to you through what he has made. It saddens me greatly that many, many people see science and, and faith to be at odds. Both, I believe with all of my heart, are, are, are meant to declare the glory of the Creator. You look at, think of the wise men coming to see Jesus. They were men of the stars. Now, you could say they were superstitious or they were false, had false gods or something like that, but, but they were interested as best as they knew in studying the stars, and they followed this star uh, to meet the, the, the Savior. 
And for someone who is, uh, you know, both of those things declare the glory of the Creator, both science and faith. And for someone who's a follower of Jesus, creation should really fill us with wonder and worship. You know, you go, go to these places and uh, probably the place where I've seen it more than anywhere else is the Grand Canyon. And, and when people go to it and they're there for the first time and it's just, it's, it's kind of scary in a way. It, it's just so massive and you think, wow, this is incredible. And so for a follower of Jesus, creation fills us with wonder and worship. But what if you're not a follower of Jesus? Well, yes, it, it, God does speak to you through nature. He can speak to you through nature. But I think it's also, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and if that's you, we're glad that you're watching right now. I think it's also meant to fill you with questions. Perhaps that's you. And, and you will acknowledge the glory and beauty of the stars. But if you're honest, every once in a while, you look up at them and you say to yourself, how did they get there? I mean, how are they so positioned? It, it, it almost looks like somebody designed them with their hands. And not only how did they get there, how do they stay there? Why, are the, why is everything not crashing into each other? David says it's because they were created by God and wants us to know that this God, the Creator, is far more glorious than the stars. Perhaps this glory of God that David talks about here is similar to what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he talked about the attributes of God. That when we look at these things, there's, we look at the stars, we look at nature, we look at things around us, it tells us a lot about God. We've said before what a great scientist he is, a great engineer, a great artist. And creation testifies to the existence and the power of God so that men and women everywhere, all over the earth, can look for him, can seek him, and can find him. But it's very interesting. I, I don't get the impression we're supposed to picture the stars and the sky going to us, hey, hey. I don't think that's it at all. I think creation is a shout. Because if you really think about it, and, and I hope this will change when you go for a walk or something like that, creation has a way. I, 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 when I was a kid, in back of my house was, was woods, and I would just go out and be lost in the woods all day long. And my mother would just pack me a sandwich. I'd just go you know, walking around the woods and still love going in the woods these days. Now you're going to worry about ticks and stuff like that. <laughs> but but love, love going hiking and love going on, on paths and stuff like that. But um, it, it's, it's interesting because I find nature to be totally appealing to all of my senses. You know, just, just looking at things and, and touching things and smelling things. And, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, I'd there'd be berries, you know, we knew the difference between the poison ones and the good ones. You know, we'd go out and pick them, and my mom would make a pie or something like that, and you know, come home with your face all full of blackberries, you know. You, are you hungry? Not really, Mom, because you just ate and beating, eating berries uh, all afternoon. Yet, sadly, in Romans 1, we're told that men and women suppress that truth. They deny the Lord, or they just go and create other gods. Verse 2, David writes, day unto day utters speech. Another version says, pours out speech, and night unto night, or night after night, reveals knowledge. So verse 2 reinforces verse 1 with the idea is that when it says it, it pours out or it utters, or night after night, that nature overflows with its praises and testimonies about God to the point in time where I would say he's kind of saying this. You really have to work hard to ignore it. Or your, your mind has to be so engaged somewhere else that, 
that, that you're ignoring it because it's that obvious. We might say that here when he's talking about the, you know, the, the, the speaking, the speech, and night after night revealing knowledge, we might say that the cosmos is kind of like a child on Christmas morning, you know, bursting at the seams to get to the presence, bursting at the seams to declare the knowledge of God and, and, and the voice of God. Notice here it's day and night, each with its own unique voice. So, so the day has its contribution to the conversation, and the night has its con- contribution to the conversation. And so once again, the Lord is telling us that the gospel of the Creator, the good news of a God that you can know and who knows you, can be seen and heard 24-7 in an unbroken chain of communication. You, you never have to worry like, oh, did I, can I catch it now or do I have to catch it later? You're, you can actually catch it all the time. Now, this is very different than what we see in the Old Testament of the Old Testament prophets. They came very intermittently. They came at irregular intervals. Not here. The day and the night have a regular daily schedule. You can count on this general revelation showing up all the time. It's really interesting if you think about it. I mean, if it wasn't for the stars, what would the night be like? I heard you smart, Alec. You're like, dark. I get it. It would be dark, true. But there would also be breaks in the revelation of God. But there are none. So people can always come. They can always look out their, their, their window or they can always look up at the sky. They can always come and see the light of God. People can always investigate wherever they are, including scientists who largely now no longer believe in an eternal universe. For years they did. Very few, if any, that I know of do now. Now, verse 3 is one of those ones where people say, you know what, he, this is a Bible contradiction. He just told us in verse 2 that they utter or pour out speech, and at night after night they reveal knowledge. And look at verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now, remember when that kind of stuff happens in the Scripture. Don't be like, ah, it's a contradiction or something like that. Think. Think. Christianity is a thinking religion. It is a thinking faith. Use your head. David is trying to get us to think. What is he saying? He's saying that nature is a language, it is a voice that speaks in a language that everyone can hear and everyone can understand. You don't have to go, you know, if I went to some country, if I went to Russia, I'd be like, well, I don't speak Russian. I have friends who do. I have to bring them. I don't speak Russian. But nobody can say, I don't speak nature. It is a language that everybody understands, even though it is silent. It's a very interesting thing to think about. Uh, perhaps the idea here is, again, similar to Romans 1. That's why I read that at the beginning. No one will be able to say, hey, God, I didn't know. No one will be able to say that. He'll say, you did. You did. I spoke to you. Remember that time in that park? Remember that time on that trail? Remember when you were standing over the Grand Canyon? Remember when you were at the ocean just looking out and the waves kept coming and coming and coming? You heard it. Now, some would protest and they would say, what about those who have uh, some, what we might call, and I don't want to be politically incorrect, limited mental capabilities? My answer is twofold. Number one, God is very fair. And number two, you don't know what you don't know. You see, there's always much more going on than what you can see. Let me give you an example. Many of us have had a situation where we go into a hospital and somebody's in a coma. And the nurse is there with you, and they do such a great job. And 
they'll usually say something to you like, um, they can hear you. You see, you walked in and you thought, that's just someone who's out. But, but the nurse says, oh, no, they can hear you. They can hear you. Or maybe you, you talk to them and, and you're holding their hand. And as you're talking, they, they very faintly start to squeeze your hand. I remember one time early when we started the church, I went on a hospital visit with Pam. And, and so we got there and, and the doctor said, you know, she can probably hear you, but there doesn't seem to be much really going on. And so I started to speak to her, and, and, and the, the little buzzer went, oh, do, 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 you know, little, little thing. And the doctor looks at me and goes, oh, she knows you. <laughs> they said that she wasn't going to live. I think she lived about another 10 years or something like that. So, uh, you know, people, you don't know these things. Verse uh, four continues with the same thought. Their, their line or their voice has gone out through all the earth. This is the sky still talking and the stars. And their words to the end of the world in them, some versions say in the heavens, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. The Apostle Paul actually quotes that in Romans ten eighteen. The first part is, is not so easy. Let's read it again. Their line or their voice has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the, uh, of the world. Now, let, let, me, let me try to help you understand what I think he's saying here. It may be easiest to think of a property line. If you've ever bought a house, you've had a survey done, or, or when people want to put a fence up or something like that, they have a surveyor come, and they have all these fancy tools out there, and they measure stuff, and, and, they, and they put the property line. And so there's boundaries. And here, interesting, it says really kind of hear that there's a boundary for the voice of the Lord in nature. So what's the boundary? The whole earth. That's the boundary. That's, that's the line that has gone out or the voice that has gone out. Every square inch sings the praises of the Lord. One of the things I really love about science is the continued discoveries that we're constantly making. I find that very, very interesting. And the, the constant way in which, uh, the way how things function. Yet this beauty, this artistry, the scientific wonders of nature, God makes available to all humanity. Now, a lot of times people will say that the Bible is not a good science book. Here and there you'll get little tidbits of science, but per se, the Bible is not meant to be a science book. Now, you might say, well, why is that? Um, I, think, I think that research and discovery and digging deeper into the meaning of how things function and all this kind of stuff, I think it's something God actually wants us to do. I would actually say that these types of disciplines of discovery are actually a, a Christian value. Now, within these discoveries, are there moral boundaries? Yes, indeed, there are. We should be very, very careful about such things. But this is where philosophy and logic come in, um, but stating, <laughs> stating philosophy to be the same as science is not a good idea. Sometimes people make statements that they will say, science has proven there is no God. That's a philosophical statement. <laughs> it, it, hasn't, it hasn't proven it. They'll the greatest of scientists will say you'll eventually come to the end of it all in both Christianity and both science where you'll say at this point in time, we're just going to have to take the best evidence that we have and, and, and make a decision. You see, despite what our culture wants you and I to think, many scientists are followers of Jesus. A lot of them, and a lot of them believe in God because they see 
God in, in the complexity of creation. When you look at, at certain things under a microscope, it's just astronomically insane, really, the engineering that has gone into just a single cell. So there's, there's all kinds of things that a lot of scientists uh, would believe. Now you say, but I'm hearing about all this stuff on college campuses where, where people don't believe any of this stuff anymore. But that's mainly in our, in our universities. And a lot of times the, the more highbrow, if you will, or prominent the university is, the more common it is, it, it's mainly the social sciences that have come out so uh, strongly against God. Studies in things like sociology, psychology, anthropology, economics, uh, political science, and history. And I got to tell you, I love all of those subjects. I love all of them. Personally, personal opinion, you can say, Pastor Jim, personal opinion, stick with the Bible, throw it out, whatever you want to do with it. Personally, I find the lack of the diversity of ideas to be troubling, to, to where we're sort of creating everybody to believe kind of the same thing, and a lot of people don't even know why they believe it. It's just like, well, this is what everybody believes, so I guess I got to hop on the bus, and you see in the protests, and, you know, they interview people, what are you protesting? Well, I really don't know, right? You know, what, is the, what does it stand for? We, what do you want? We don't know. We don't know. And so I, I, I do find that troubling, and I think that I hope that the whole debating in a, in a civil way, not yelling at each other, and, and logic and, and diversity of ideas will become popular once again. Uh, I'm young for this, but I know I've heard from some older people that they feel like we're reliving the 60s all over again. <laughs> that, was not my, that was not my time. But, and, and there's just, they can't figure out what's going on, and they, those people, of course, became the yuppies. On the other hand, uh, the voice of God in nature is why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1 that we are all accountable to God. And again, once a, again, the problem is not that we don't hear the voice or see the voice. The problem is we suppress the voice. Now, it is true, and this is part of God's graciousness, it is true that someone may never come to church or meet a missionary but God speaks to all of us in creation. I remember one time reading an article of a man who had eventually become a Christian, and he, and he grew up uh, down in South America and sort of out in the woods, and they would uh, you know, have these statues, these totem poles, and they would, they would bow to them. And he, and he said he came to the realization one day where he said, I know who made the totem pole. I want to know who made the tree. And so that's really the, the graciousness of God in nature. Now, the end of verse 4 uh, says this. He has set a tabernacle for the sun. Uh, again, Romans 10.18 quotes it. He says, in, in there, in, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. Now, listen, this is not designed to be science. It's not designed to be science. It's a, it's a fun illustration, if you will. It, it's saying that God set up a tent for the sun, um, you know, and then he, this, when he gets up in the morning, he comes out of the tent, and, and we see the sun coming out. So what's it like when the sun comes out of his tent? Verse 5. Again, we're supposed to be thinking about how this stuff works. It's not, it, it's not scientific theory which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man. Another version says athlete, another champion, another warrior, another says a valiant man, to run his race. So what is that race? Uh, verse 6, it is rising from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, one of the things I, I like to do, I have fun with myself sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, is I like to think of myself as being a Hebrew dad, and, and you know, Pam would be my Hebrew bride, and we, we live, you know, back in 3000 B.C., and, and we have our, we're our kids, 
and we are reading or reciting or singing the scripture to the kids at bedtime. You know, and, and you could, you know, you, you get, I'd imagine there's some really things where the kids are like, tell us about the sun being in the tent, Dad. Right? Tell us, sing us about that one. And so here we have this entertaining story, you know, of how the sun spends his day. So, so it's dark. And then, and then all of a sudden, there comes the sun, and he's, he's rushing up from, you know, over the, there. And you're saying to the kids, you see the sun start to come up, and all of a sudden, it, you know how it comes up really quickly? It seems to be coming up very slowly, and next thing you know, it's up. You, watch, you see that when you go out at the beach? Uh, well, on the East Coast, we do anyway. And so, and so it, it, all of a sudden, it's up. And, and so the idea is, well, the sun bounces out of bed every day, you know, the the, the alarm goes off or the time comes and, and God says, hey, you got to get up. And he comes out of the tent of the darkness. And, and how, does he, how does he get up? And so he says he gets up like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. So now this is something where we were like, what in the world is he talking about? You see, but back in that culture, the idea was that a man and a woman would get married they both would be virgins. And uh, then the next morning, he would come out of his tent, and there would be people there. Now, those of us in our culture were like, ew. <laughs> I remember when Pam and I got married, the next morning after our honeymoon, people were trying to get in touch with us, and we're like, we called the front desk. We're like, hold all our calls. We don't want to see anybody, right? We don't got to have breakfast with anybody. Maybe you're different, but we didn't want to do that. And so... Uh, so what happens is, but they would all be waiting there, and so he would come out of the tent filled with radiant love, and the whole village would be there. Um, like, like, and, and so the idea is, as weird as it is for us, it was culturally fine for them, it would be like the sun. Like you would have to be indifferent to miss it. You would have to be like, I don't want to be there. I'm going to you know, sleep in or I'm going to do, go do work or, or something like that. And so the son is also pictured as one who rejoices like a strong man to run his race. In other words, the son is filled with joy. He can't wait to get at it. How does he go about it? Well, if he's a strong man to run his race, he goes at it how? Aggressively, like an athlete running to finish the race, running to win his race. And so daily, the course is set for the son, and we get to watch it all day long. You know, it, it, it comes up in the morning, and then it goes all, it's up, you know, in the middle of the day, it's high up, and then it begins to set uh, at night. And so it's running, the, the sun is running around the world, supplying heat to the world, nourishment to the world, but also testifying to the world that there is a creator, that God does exist. And verse 6 ends and says, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You, you can't escape it. But nor can you and I escape the watchful eye of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about that comment? You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, God's watching. And, and some people are like, oh, well, I'm glad he is because I need him now. And other people are like, oh, no, I better stop what I'm doing. God's watching. Now, let's just imagine for a second that you are one of the neighboring nations and somebody gives you a parchment with this uh, psalm on it. Imagine how insulting it would be to the pagan nations who worship the sun. And, of course, many people still do. Many people live the entirety of their lives uh, going outside in, in the warm weather. I mean, that, that's what they live for. I, I see that, you know, sometimes uh, before the virus hit, coming over to the church, uh, you know, it'd still be dark out or the sun would just be coming up. And, and, and boy, Route 80 is just packed with people, you know, go, presumably going out towards the Poconos or something like that. And when the weather's warm, it's, it, it can be downright, you know, 6 a.m., 5.45 a.m., there's just downright traffic on the road. There's so many people uh, go, going out there. And what's sad is, and a lot of people know this, that a lot of people take a vacation from God in the summer. And, and you know, it, it's sad. Sometimes as a pastor, you, 
a little different this year, but you you know June is eh, you know it's graduations and stuff like, stuff like that, and uh, then other people say you know, July and then August people stop coming because they're away. I get that, and and then you think well September's back to school and they're like you know oh well we got to get back into the groove and then October you're like well here they come and November well, okay now they're here and then December well Christmas time you know I gotta. I got to get ready for the holidays. I can't worship Jesus, even though it's his holiday. So, you know, we, we, we can get caught up in, in taking a vacation from God. And please don't think I'm against enjoying beautiful days. I, to be honest, there are few things on earth like a beautiful day. There, there really are. And gifts, a gift from God to remind us of his love. But David wants us to see we don't worship the sun, we worship the S-U-N, we worship the S-O-N, we don't worship the S-U-N, rather the glorious and powerful and wise creator of the sun. So nature or natural revelation like the scriptures or like special revelation, um, which we'll talk about next week, its importance, point us to God. C.S. Lewis again said, the doctrine of creation empties nature of its divinity. <laughs> Lewis was a smart one, wasn't he? <laughs> and, and although nature is not God, David wants us to see that nature is a preacher and nature proclaims the glory of God. And when we meet God, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will have to admit that you heard some of Pastor Nature's sermons about the goodness of God, about the faithfulness of God, about the care of God, about the creativity and the power of God. And that care is extended to all of nature. That care is extended to the animals. That care is extended to all followers of Jesus. And that care is even extended to people who don't believe in God, to people who actually mock him. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was trying to help his followers to be like his heavenly Father. He said this, Matthew 5, 43 through 45, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then it says this, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, when we think of rain, we think, oh, that's a bad day. But for them, rain was life. And so he says, listen, you need sun and rain to live, to grow your crops. And this is what God does for people, whether they love him or whether they hate him. He provides. He sends both sun and rain so the crops can grow, so people can live. Yet nature often uh, also has a destructive power. It, it, nature, we know at times, can be very unpredictable. And often in the Word of God, nature is actually used to judge the world. Now, most times the earth is pictured as functioning as it should. But again, at other times, the earth seems incredibly unstable. Why? Why, why is, is the earth, why is the world at times so incredibly unstable? And this is, this is right now for us, in our lives, this is probably the most unstable time any of us have ever lived in. I think it's because it's just another way the Lord wants to show us that all our trust must be in Him and in Him alone. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah wrote these words, Isaiah 51, 6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But. The, that little word is one of the best words in the entirety of the scripture. But. So look, 
heaven's going to vanish away like smoke. The earth's going to grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it, that will be us, will die in like manner. But the Lord says, my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. You can trust God. You can count on God. Even if you're living, it's not like he's unaware that this stuff is going to happen. He knows that, the, that things are going to vanish. He knows that, that, that people are going to die. But he says, my salvation, that will never die. Your eternal life with me, if you trust in my son, that will never go away. His righteousness will never be abolished. We come into the New Testament. The book of Hebrews says this, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 talking about God, that he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The writer to the Hebrews agrees. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, there's the cross, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Apostle John writes these words, John 1.14, and the word, that, the word in that chapter is talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. The idea of that word is that he tabernacled or pitched his tent. Much like the sun had a tent and came out of the tent, for the world to see, so did Jesus. He came from heaven and he pitched his tent. He tabernacled among people. And John says, and we beheld his glory, the glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 3, verse 18 and 21, John writes, he who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. That's a scary thought. The reality is, is we, don't, we are not born heaven-bound. We have to put our trust in Jesus. So he says, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is why we're condemned. And condemned means not going to heaven. That light has come into the world... That light would be Jesus. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. We'll talk a little bit more about that this weekend. So, just as the light of the sun comes to the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God become a man, came into the world. Jesus, the light, comes into the world. The problem was this. The problem is still this, that men and women love darkness more than they love the light. Jesus preached with his mouth and, his and with his deeds he demonstrated his power over nature. And he simply did this. He invited people into the kingdom of God. He invited people into the kingdom of heaven. And what happened? They crucified him. I know we like to think in this day and age we're very critical of people in the past and history. And, and we like to think, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. I, I can't say that. I can say if I was there, I would have hoped I wouldn't have done that. But, but these things are very complex. And so if I was there, would I have been part of the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him? Perhaps there's a good chance I would have been. Perhaps there's a good chance that you would have been. Why? Because men love darkness. It's part of the way that we are. Interesting that he says that the sun comes out. Like, remember we read David said the, that the bridegroom comes out of his tent, full of joy. 
and Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, and his bride is the church. He died for the people of God, and he is, like, remember the sun goes around the earth like a joyful champion. Jesus is the joyful champion who defeated sin and death on the cross. And just like we read about that the sun was running a race, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, ran his race for all of us to see. We have preserved in the pages of Scripture, passed down through the centuries with tremendous, we're finding these manuscripts. There's more manuscripts in the New Testament by far than any other document that there is in human, ancient human history. By far. Nothing's even remotely close. There's little variations here and there, but not, not anything that changes any of the doctrines and beliefs and teachings of the church. So Jesus, ran, that is the, 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 the miracle of the preservation of the scripture. We, we, we can see Jesus. Jesus ran his race for all to see. And, and he offers to the whole world by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. But he also wrote it in the sky. He also wrote it in the sky. He offers you today. He offers everyone the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The forgiveness for our darkness, taking away our condemnation because in our place he stood on that cross. In our place he was nailed to that cross. He underwent any condemnation, any judgment that any of us would ever receive. And there's only one, condemna- one, one condition for receiving that. You have to turn to God. Admit that you've loved the darkness, that you've lived in the darkness, and put your trust in his perfect son instead of yourself. That is all you have to do. You have to respond. When we get to the end of this psalm, this beautiful, beautiful psalm, we're going to see the response, hearing the, seeing the general revelation of nature, and then hearing the specific revelation of the word of God. The psalmist just jumps for joy. And wants to talk to God. That's all you have to do. You can feel the warmth of the sun today. In the midst of your darkness. You can feel the warm embrace of God. He will speak to you day and night. You can know him. And and as we're going to talk about this weekend. There's ways you can know that you are going to heaven. But for now, all you need to do, all you need to remember is to put your trust in Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, to continue putting your trust in Jesus. Well, let's pray.